Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Behind the Goals podcast from Supporters Direct Scotland. I'm here with Andrew Jenkin, as always. Hello. And it's been a little bit of a while since we last spoke to you. Yeah, we've been out in the cold. Yeah, we've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> been busy. Um, yeah, it's what started out as a as a short hiatus when in the middle of travel and holidays and other commitments um, seemed to drag on through the summer. Uh, and despite big plans to revive the podcast over the summer months, uh, we never quite got to it. Um, but we are back now and uh, we're going to try and set a marker down ready for 2020 and to hit the ground running again and uh, and get some more, more regular content out to you. Yeah, that was it. So, so we uh, we thought we, it was important to do one before the turn of the year, didn't we? Especially with the general election on the horizon. That's right. That's the kind of focus of this this uh, this episode is how the general election affects football. Yeah. And uh, just kind of quick review of what the different the noise out parties there. are saying and yeah. what we think some of the issues might be beyond what parties are saying. Yeah, and we've decided to kind of next year we'll do kind of a reformatted version of behind the goals i think in terms of how we structure it but in this opening section our new opening section to the podcast we're going to talk about some of the things that we've been up to yeah uh, to ca- kind of bring listeners up to speed with the fact that we do do stuff yeah <laughs> so what have you been doing for the last nine months <laughs> <laughs> uh, well let's let's ask you what have you been doing for the last nine months what have you been in the last <laughs> what have you been doing in the last few weeks i mean uh, we could talk about you've been in watford that's right yeah um i was down in watford for a european slo network meeting um so three of the scottish support liaison officers joined me for that meeting there probably about i think 20 or 25 people there in total uh, from across Europe, talking about their experiences at, at the clubs that they, they uh, that they are active at. I'm not sure if you can say work. It seems to be a, a yeah. bigger bigger role than just work. It's a passion project uh, for many. It's also their job. Um, but yeah, we a lot of lot of really good contacts that were made there with people from across Europe, uh, and it was really nice to visit uh, uh, Vicarage Road. Mm. Um, and, and see the place. I, it was a while since, well, a long time since I'd been there. Um, probably twenty-five or thirty years since I'd been down there, uh, and the the ground is completely different uh, to to what I remember it, it, it being. Um, so as well as you know, talking about SLO issues, we had a tour of the stadium. Uh, we saw their sensory room. Uh, we saw their bunker, which was bunker. Ed, they have a bunker there, um, wow. uh, just underneath the. I think it's the south stand. It's the it's the stand behind the goal nearest the hospital. Uh, if you're familiar with Vicarage Road, uh, and just an, an under as, as people are coming up the steps to go in there, off to the side, there's what looks like a a bit of a disused rambly underpass, which is actually the entrance to this fan space. Um, and it was found. I, I think I think not a lot of people at the club knew it even existed, and found there's this empty space from when they were building the stands and I think it was to lift the level of the ground up from mm-hmm. uh, from the area that, that used to be allotments and there's now a big car park for the hospital. Uh, they were lifting the, the space up and it created a, a bit of a void space which had been used 
as storage. I think a homeless man was was sleeping in there three or four years ago when they when they found that this space was available. Um, and a supporter group. I thought you meant when you went to visit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wandered in and a homeless man sleeping there. No, no, he, he was he was gone. I think I think uh, or he'd, he'd had a shower and cleaned himself up. I'm not sure, uh, but no, I think he I think he was gone. Um, so I spoke about Troy Deeney. <laughs> um, but what they used the space for is partly a space to prepare displays, uh, flags, banners when they're doing TIFOs. Um, you know, they needed space near to the stadium, ideally, to, to, to create that stuff, to set it up that was going to be weatherproof so the stuff would still look good when they, by the time they were unveiling it. Um, but also a gathering point as well. Um, they've got a, a pool table there. They've got a piano with an Elton John songbook uh, that's permanently on it. The walls, are, walls and ceiling are covered in memorabilia. Um, they've got a bar through the back. Um, they make, uh, they've got... Um, beer that's brewed specially for them by a local brewer it was about five or six miles away so I got to taste some of that while we were there and it's just it's an immersion in Watford and mm -hmm. fan culture and it's their place to go uh, a place that they're really really proud of um, it's quite pretty rough and ready facilities there's a portal to the outside um, uh, and it's got sort of space heaters uh, when they need when they need that um, but had just such a despite the cold it had such a lovely warm feel to it uh, and you really as soon as you walked in the door you felt you were part part of mm. real fan culture mm. uh, and it's you know literally you know 40 50 uh, meters away from the entrance to what is a modern polished quite corporate looking stadium but it still has a lot of character mm. uh, so cheek by jowl with that very sort of polished image of football you've got you know what what fans really want to be involved in which is getting together having a laugh making displays playing pool listening to elton john mm -hmm. drinking beer mm -hmm. um so you know, we were all crowded into this place absolutely you know just floored back because none of us knew what we were walking into and you know Around the room, you could hear murmurs, murmured conversation in many, many languages, saying, you know, basically saying, "We need one of these." Mm. Um, so that, that seems like kind of, from from my impression, is what is kind of standard in Germany, kind of like clubhouses or you know, fan fan houses. Um, but that seems quite rare in British football. Uh, yeah, it does seem quite rare in British football. I'm not, I'm not sure why that is. I think, um, well, actually, the interesting thing was this is this is part of the clubs. Premises. Mm. It's they're they're legal, they're yeah. legally responsible for the facilities, so they're involved in insurance and licensing and security and the rest of it. But they have quite a trusting relationship with the fans there, so they they let them open up uh, and lock up right. uh, themselves. Um, so they trust them to, to behave responsibly there, uh, and all they ask them to do is is let them know let the, let security know when they're going in and when they've left. Right. Um, so they're you know they're 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 not surprised when they see people walking around there. Um, but it's got a very different feel from the rest of the stadium, and it's not something that the club control. It's, it's their space, but they've, they've absolutely handed it over to the fans yeah. to do something with. And I think a lot of times clubs might be a little bit uh, suspicious of what's going to go in there, worried about the the legal or yeah. the reputational risk of them doing things that they're not meant to do there. Um, but they actually just seem to have a really good relationship with the supporters there and, and trust them to... Um, to use it responsibly, use it well. And mm. they do use it responsibly, use it well. I mean, they're, they're saying there's... There's never any bother there. There's never any trouble. They don't let too many people in. So once it's full, they operate a one-in, one-out process. They're, they're not breaching licensing regulations. Um, and the displays that they bring into the, to the ground are spectacular. Mm. Uh, and the club know that they benefit from you know the, uh, the colour and the noise that uh, the, the fans uh, introduce to the matchday experience after, after they've been preparing things in there. 
So a worthwhile trip. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, there was there was there was other SLO stuff that was covered there. Um, you know, as as I say, we we got to see their sensory room as well. So actually, touring the stadium and seeing the sensory room and finding out what's done there for um, for for children with. Uh, um, uh, with with kind of autistic children and, and children on the spectrum who've got can't quite handle the full on experience of, of being in a football stadium mm-hmm. is their way of introducing them to football get them more comfortable more familiar with it and then transition them into sitting with the rest of the support out in the out in the stands uh, and that's it's a lovely facility and it's it's been really successful we had some great stories about what it's actually meant for families being able to bring their kids who are, who wanted to come to football but just couldn't handle mm. the uh, this kind of sensory overload of, of sitting in a stand when 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 the match is going on mm. and, and typically they go there for maybe three four five games and then they try sitting in the stand um, uh, and quite a number of, of families have, have been able to, to make that transition to to not needing to be in that environment any, anymore and, and freeing it up for others to use and they also run you know things like it's not in Scotland. We, it's the Football Memories Project. It's a similar project south of the border called something slightly different. I can't remember, but um, people with um, uh, Alzheimer's or, or other forms of dementia, other forms of of kind of illness that affect the memory, uh, getting to come in and talk about football and engaging with each other using old photographs and old uh, stories about about football. So they use that space for that as well, mm-hmm. um, away from the match day. Um, and we talked about uh, colour blindness as, as one of the access issues. Right. Um, so we had a, a couple of people from an organisation um, that raised awareness of, of colour blindness in stadium design and kit choice. Uh, and we got to put on these, there were like 3D specs that you would wear at the cinema, uh, but they actually you know just, just showed what it was what it was like to... to to watch a, a game of football, or to look at a, uh, to look at look at teams lining up on a pitch, um, if you're colourblind. So they had a, a, a laundry rail uh, of different shirts and socks uh, that were hanging up, and we had the glasses on. We had to name what colour they were, and it was amazing just what a difference, it, how much you how much you miss um, when you don't have you know fully fully functioning sort of colour awareness in your mm. in your, your visual system. Um, so. And, and just the, the the issues that are around there, and then we were experimenting a little bit. Found an app uh, that you can use on your iPhone, and you can switch it on, hold it up as you walk around the stadium, and say, "So, what does this look like to to somebody with colour blindness?" You walk along a concrete concourse, and there's a, there's what what to us would be um, a very very clear exit sign in green. Um, it just it just blends into the background. It just all looks like a sort of like a muddy yellow grey and it just blends into the background of the concrete so it's something that was was new to me understanding that and they say I think something like one in 12 uh, adult males in the UK uh, are colourblind right have some form of colour 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 deficiency in the, in their eyes uh, so it's much more common than, than we would think and we said you know statistically the people that are sitting there around that room two of them are probably colourblind and we weren't asked to say whether they were colourblind or not but we all um, we would all try to out and all experience what it was like to be in that, that stadium. And it's, it's a really bright stadium, so yellow and red seats yeah. and green pitch. Uh, but you look through the, you, you look at that that setup with the colour blindness glasses on, and it's it's not it's not nearly as vibrant, and it's actually quite difficult. They showed us some pictures of different teams lining up to play matches, and one team just seems to you know merge into the background and right. be invisible like when Man United wore their, their grey shirts yeah uh, that's what it's like for, for colourblind uh, yeah. people to, to watch a match all the time um, so it was, it was fascinating stuff yeah um, and great to, great to build that network 
yeah. and great to have such a strong representation from Scotland there. Excellent, excellent stuff. And now closer to home, um, Partick Thistle. Yeah. Last couple of weeks, new ownership. Congratulations to them. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's great sort to great to see um, Colin Weir continuing to support the club yeah. after having stepped back for a couple of months while there was another takeover being being discussed. Um, but having supported the club financially through supporting the, the, the youth academy financially for the last few years, he's now um, you know resumed his, his, his support of the youth academy, but then bought I think fifty five percent of the, mm. the shares, um, and is is giving the fans three or four months to come up with a robust plan on how to yeah. on how to how to run the club, at which point he'll he'll hand over the shares to them. So he's it's, it's sort of adopting a similar model to um, what Gordon Scott's done with St Mirren and, right. and Budge has done with uh, Hart, Melodian, obviously. So sort of having a wealthy investor come along who's got that capital up front that can you know, put the money into buying the shares immediately and then kind of developing that long-term plan to sell it right. into a kind of more long-term sustainable um, yeah. model, I guess, which is positive to see. Every club's dream, really, isn't it? Every yeah. fan's dream yeah, well, to have somebody that would have that kind of capital, but also the willingness to relinquish yeah. control at some point. I'm, I'm sure we've all probably said it and or definitely heard people say, if I won the lottery, this is what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, know, you, you know, do something great for your club and for the people who support your club. Um, so it's fantastic to do that. As, yeah, as you say, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's buying fans breathing space to come up with the mm. detailed plans and get the get the experience and and to know that they're ready to to take over the club. And in some clubs that that happens well with as with Partick Thistle, what Colin Weir is doing is he's, he's saying so by about March, um, you should be ready to take take this the, the shareholding over from me. Um, and be ready to run the club. Um, Hearts have been working for I think five years yeah. um, in partnership with Anne Budge. Anne Budge put the money up, owns the shares, um, but I think June or July next year they're expecting that the shareholding will be handed over. Yeah. So they've had time to prepare to get ready to really understand what it would what it will mean to, to run Hearts. Um, and as you say, Gordon Scott at St Mirren a couple of years ago doing the same thing, uh, maybe at a smaller scale financially, but just as big a scale for the future of the club. Yeah. Um, you know, putting the money up to take get a majority shareholding and say, okay, so work with me for a for a number of years. Yeah. You know, sit in the boardroom with me. I want a few of you to get experience of what it means to be on the board, means to be to making these tough decisions about mm-hmm. running a football club. So that once you've run once you've 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 managed to raise the money, uh, you'll also know what it takes to to, to do it properly and to, to make responsible decisions about the, about the club and its long-term stable ownership. Mm-hmm. I think the other one, we, obviously, we should mention is Motherwell. Yeah. Um, they yeah. had uh, they, they already owned the, the shareholding in the club and recently um, paid off the last instalments of what was owed to buy that shareholding. And that was done in a, in a, in a similar but different way uh, in that the outgoing shareholders said, well, I'll give you the shares just now, you know, run, run the club now, um, but then you need to pay me back later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to put a stranglehold over the club to do that. Pay me out of a, a, a proportion of, of transfer fees that we bring in mm. uh, as, as a club. So some of the, some of those fees can go towards running the club and developing more players, but some of them will go to pay off that uh, uh, that uh, that shareholding yeah. debt. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting idea of kind of that. So we're got, I think we'll talk about it in the main bulk of today's episode, but 
one of the things that's been proposed by one of the political parties is something not too dissimilar to, to that, but for the clubs that perhaps haven't got that wealthy individual, like yeah. a, like a Colin Weir and Partick Christmas do, who I can tell you, a very generous man, that Colin Weir, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so give some support to, uh, to your charity, yeah, yeah, Africa on the Ball, uh, earlier this year, was that? Yeah, in September. Yeah, in so September, yeah. Attest to his generosity, a lovely man. Yeah. Um, so good luck to, to the guys at Partick Crystal with, with how that pans out. A couple of quick things before we get into the real meat and veg is uh, congratulations to Celtic and Rangers flying the flag for Scotland and Europe. Absolutely. Um, so Celtic have, have well, they've both got one more to, game to play, but Celtic will finish top of their group. Rangers are currently top of their group with one more game to play. So with a, with a good result, I guess it's in a couple of weeks' time, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll hopefully be into the, the next round of the Europa League as well. Yeah. And I think that will mean that we have another uh, Champions League place in season 21-22, right. or maybe season 2021. No, it must be 21-22. Uh, that's great. So the coefficient has, has improved substantially over the last few years. Yeah. Um, and it's it's remarkable, really, given that Scottish football's position in European club competition seemed to be on the slide for quite a few years. We were slipping down the pecking order, um, but Celtic and Rangers have done fantastically to reverse that trend. Uh, other clubs have played in Europe as well, and they've, they've had some good results, not quite hit the heights that Celtic and Rangers have done. Um, but what Celtic and Rangers have done is good for Scottish football as a whole, because it gets us back up that pecking order, back in back in the frame to to be competing more regularly um, mm-hmm. in uh, in the Champions League. And that you know, having a second space in the Champions League opens up a slot in the Europa League for a, for another Scottish club, yeah. like I guess. Yeah. So that's that's fantastic, and it's just brilliant to see. Um, Celtic Rangers fans both enjoying some success on the European stage again um, and long may that continue Speaking about success maybe not on international stage but you were back at Star- this <laughs> San Starco the San Starco yeah on Wednesday night <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, but yeah. if we're going to be talking about European competition we should we should talk about the only one that actually really counted for anything when Wraith Rovers were in Europe uh, well you were in Europe 24 years ago um, but we're recording this on Friday. Two days ago was the 25th anniversary of us winning the League Cup against Celtic uh, back in 1994. So there's a few events that happened over the last uh, little while at, at uh, along in Kirkcaldy. Um, there was a brunch on Sunday uh, where people got together with uh, a lot, most of the most of the team that competed uh, back then, and the manager Jimmy Nicholl, Unfortunately, very very sadly, his assistant Martin Harvey uh, died last week at the age of 78, so he couldn't be there. Um, but it was great that he was in everybody's minds, um, uh, both positively for, for his part in the Cup win, and also people remembering his life and his career. Mm. Um, he was one of these rare footballers that only played for one club. It wasn't right over, it was Sunderland. Um, had a, a very long career there, um, very much admired and loved down in Sunderland for what he did, and very much uh, in our hearts in Kirkcaldy uh, for his, his part uh, in the successes we had in the early 90s. Uh, but, well... To most other people outside of Kirkcaldy, he's a bit of an unsung hero. Um, everyone at the club knew just how much uh, that success was was down to his input. It wasn't just Jimmy Nickel. He was a, an absolute novice in managerial terms when he came in, but he had a, a more experienced guy alongside him that, that really um, yeah, made that go well. Mm. So, uh, yeah, and on Wednesday night itself, um, we watched the full game as live. Um, Good so result, was it? Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, Unexpected. Edge of, the, edge of my seat at times, but uh, yeah, we, we did it in the end. Uh, and it was great just to, uh, it wasn't many of us there, but uh, we all 
it was like we'd been tra um, transported back 25 years and we're talking about what exactly we were doing that day, the whole experience around it, the build up to it, our expectations, um, the match itself and how we reacted to it and what we thought was going to happen. Um, it was all a bit of a blur to me. So ex extra time when I watch it on TV, I think, oh great, we were, we were doing brilliantly there. Um, but I honestly, yeah, when I was at the at the ground, once we once we got the the the, the our second goal to equalise, two minutes before the end of normal time, um, I was just hyper and I just couldn't. It's like I couldn't see straight, <laughs> uh, and I was just you know, absolutely. I've never been as excited in my life and um, before or since as to, as at that point because we we thought we can really do this. Um, that's all that. That's, that's that thing when you when you come back and get a, a late equaliser. Uh, and it, you, you you go into extra time, momentum's with you, and it very much was that day. Mm. Um, and just brilliant to see, just to see it all again and to, yeah. and to enjoy it. Well, talking about watching games back as if they were live, obviously I was with you on Saturday when I went to extraordinary lengths to try and avoid the West Ham score <laughs> as we were working at yeah. a club development Scotland event where yeah. we, were, we were very, well, we had a great day at Scottish Athletics. They had a national club conference in which we were at talking to clubs but we were kind of supporting with various bits and bobs yeah um but i'd gone through huge i did a whole likely lads, likely had lads stuff yeah and managed to you knew the score but obviously you held out on telling me and yeah. i was so excited to get home and watch that <laughs> big big game west ham tottenham uh, after half an hour i just oh. did you watch it through to the end oh yeah it was a bit of a finish wasn't it yeah but <laughs> was, there, was there a disallowed goal as well in, in injury time was it, was uh, it yes, before the yes. end of the 90 or was it, it that was, was an injury a, time it was at, uh, they were already winning 3-1 at that yeah. point and then Declan Rice scored and he was offside but um, yeah. yeah so uh, it was more just the manner I think 3-0 yeah. down after 50 minutes yeah for the third third week in a row is pretty uh, right. demoralising. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so has Tree Face Man still got a job? <laughs> Tree Face Man has technically still got a job. Okay. Uh, we're calling this on Friday. It's probably going out Monday, so he might okay. not right now. Okay. Uh, they might get a battering of Chelsea right. tomorrow. So, um, but looking forward to I would say happier things. I, maybe it's not. We're looking at the general election this week. We're getting into the meat and bones now That's of, right. the, of the episode. Well, quite a long intro. I'm just looking at the timer there. We're on 21 well, minutes. We might 21 minutes? Oh, yeah, we've missed this. <laughs> we might need to tighten this up going forward. But yeah. if you are still listening, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done for discovering the speed controls on your podcast player. <laughs> one, one and a half, maybe two times normal speed. <laughs> Put some sort of chime or some music in so people notice, kind yeah, of stop like and then listen to the serious bit now. Yeah. Maybe at this bit we'll put like a little trailer in for something to break yeah. it up. That'd okay. be good. Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P Direct Scott. Right, so we're talking about the general election and um, obviously 12th of December, possibly one of the biggest general elections of of this year. Of this year. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, it the fourth this decade or fifth this decade, something like that? We've we got so many elections and mm. referendums and European elections, council elections, Scottish elections. It's it's hard to keep track of it all. It is. It is. I think there is a real danger of political fatigue as well. However, yeah. what we have done to make it easier for people that are interested in football and love football um, and probably like ourselves, view the world through the lens of football to some extent. What we've done is we've we've taken the hard work out of it for you um, and we've looked through all the different political parties are saying around football and sport mm -hmm. and 
some of them aren't saying anything at all, which yeah. is absolutely fine. Um, but what we've done is just kind of draw out what, what each of them are saying. And football is the, the main sport that's referenced. Yeah. Um, so we will kick things off with the Green Party. Great. Who are unsurprisingly... Well, they've not said a lot about sport. However, what they have said is that they are quite keen for children to get at least half a day equivalent of sport in school, which yeah. I think is sensible. Yeah, and I think they've definitely come from the from the end of sport, which is about participation, yeah, rather than the, the, the top levels of performance. Um, so I, I think that that's good. So we don't need to say much about them, really. I mean, <laughs> this is a good policy. I don't think anyone yeah. could disagree with the fact yeah. that kids need more physical activity. Yeah. So it's more more participation and better facilities for them to participate in. Um, they're also looking at taking a community angle on this, mm. so that when so so you know, we should invest in, or they they want to they want government policy to encourage investment in uh, facilities and schools, but for communities to be able communities to be able to use those those facilities, mm. um, get everybody active, get everybody healthy, get everybody outside uh, and on on a green surface. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's so that's, that's that's pretty much that's why that's why they chose that name for the party. I think. Like, yeah. Okay, makes sense now. Yeah, great marketing. Um, conservatives. Yeah, conservatives have quite a lot in their manifesto um, about football and sports, so, and, and surprising as well. I would. Yeah. I was surprised by what I read in their manifesto. Yeah, um, and I think we'll we'll probably talk in more detail later about our our colleagues south of the border, the Football Sporters Association. And the manifesto that they published, but a lot of the things that they were asking for in their manifesto have appeared in the Conservative Party's manifesto, and you'll see the Labour Party manifesto when we come to it later. Mm. A lot of a lot of similarity in what those two parties say. And uh, the biggest thing that's in the Conservative uh, Party's uh, manifesto is uh, a commitment to a one hundred and fifty million pound community ownership fund. Mm. Um, it doesn't say whether that's every year or that's a, a pot of money that will be that will last forever. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of money there uh, that w- that would would hopefully enable supporters groups to do the types of things that are happening that we talked about earlier at Hearts, at St Mirren, at Park of Thistle, at, at Motherwell, but without a wealthy benefactor in mm. place. Um, yeah, I mean, it's actually I was I was I was surprised by this because this is obviously going in the way that you would conventionally think the Conservative Party would go around sort of private ownership of things and kind of acknowledges a lot of this stuff as community businesses that um, so they talk about the fact that football clubs and pubs and post offices are assets of community value yeah um, and that there you know there could be a fund set up to help um, those groups so as basically as we were talking fulfill the role of an ambudge or a, a yeah. Colin Weir or Gordon Scott essentially that they could borrow that fund to, to buy the shares up front and repay it over a period of time um, which is very interesting, I think, and um, I'll, I'll mention something when we get onto the Labour Party. But this is, this actual this fund is not too dissimilar to something that the Scottish government announced earlier this year, which That's was right. something that we were looking pitching for and got some funding to develop the kind of concept of, which would be perhaps a community sport fund that could allow people to borrow funding to develop sports sports facilities and take ownership of clubs so um scottish government are already kind of ahead of the curve on this i think it's fair to say and i've kind of acknowledged that um and something that we were very keen 
perhaps a smaller amount of money, which is five million as opposed to one hundred and fifty million. But yeah. it's the fact that they've actually gone out and done it already. But it's a community sport fund, um, and this, and what conservatives are talking about, community ownership fund. It's not just sports. So sport yeah. would have a slice of that. So maybe more. It may be broadly similar in terms of size of population. So there's ten times as many people, and I, I guess that would apply to England and Wales. Yeah. Um, uh, not not Scotland as. Um, as sport as a devolved matter mm. um, sometimes some grey areas and, and what's devolved what's not and, yeah. and, and what and what election pledges manifesto pledges for a UK election actually mean for the whole of the country but broadly it's a, it's a good thing and it's shown a direction of travel that, that political parties are at least talking about mm. um, whether they ever follow through with manifesto pledges it's another thing, but it's it's, de- it's definitely a very good thing to see that in writing that we can hold them to account for uh, yeah. if they if they're successful in the election. Yeah, and obviously something you know that supports Direct Scotland have, and supports Direct even have long sort of advocated for and yeah. wanted to see happen to yeah. kind of reduce those barriers to community ownership and um, community empowerment. Okay, yeah. right. So as I said, that was quite an interesting one. The other thing they talk about is they want to kind of. I think this is kind of them selling Britain to the world, isn't it? About wanting to host World Cup. Yeah, twenty thirty. A UK and Ireland bid for a World Cup twenty thirty. Yeah. What do you think of that? Um, I think it's it's problematic in terms of how the rest of the world sees uh, the status of the home nations in in, in FIFA's uh, power structures. Um, I also think it's a little bit problematic that. Uh, uh, What's the phrase again? Is it pageants and baubles or something like this? You know, yeah, you have these big events that are meant to, you know, everybody can get behind and they're meant to create a legacy. But for West Ham fans, the the Olympics created a legacy in, in the in the London Stadium. Yeah. Um, but how much of that legacy actually lasts uh, and and benefits the whole country, the whole uh, or, or the whole group of countries? Uh, if it's a UK and Ireland bid, yeah, um, and it's versus how much it costs to actually set them up. Well, that's it, isn't um, it? They sort of, uh, the kind of cost-benefit analysis research of hosting, I mean, it's so hard to quantify, isn't it? Because yeah. you can't put, a, could you, I don't know if you, if that kind of research exists on being able to put a cost on somebody getting hooked, going to a game for the first time that they might not be able mm. to see getting becoming inspired by that and playing sport for the rest of their yeah. life. Yeah. You know, that's obviously going to have a saving to something like the NHS or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you can really quantify it. So it's very hard. You're working with un- unknowns, aren't you, mm-hmm. when you when yeah. you decide to, and a lot of people will come out and say, this is going to be yeah. great. And um, But as you say, there's sort of unintended consequences as well, like yeah. being left with a, a, a stadium that you've built, which you have no long-term plan for. Yeah. <laughs> and interestingly, Boris Johnson was the... Uh, was the mayor? Was the mayor of uh, <laughs> London when that decision was made? Yeah, but, uh, um, I think I think as well there's a, a wider question around where's that money going to come from to back that bid. Yeah. Um, certainly at the 2012 Olympics, there was lottery funding that went into that, and is it right for uh, for lottery funds to be used that way? You know, lotteries are often referred to as regressive taxation. Is that proportionally more of a more of a, well, a lower earning uh, person or family's money is spent on lottery tickets than on a on a high earning family or individual? Um, so it's actually you know the poorest in our society that that pay for those big investments that the whole country benefits from maybe mm. or one club benefits from maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but in, in general, actually bringing more profile to sport um, and being able to you know to bring a, bring an international competition to these shores. Uh, it makes it easier for people to go along and actually, you know, be part of it and see the game. Mm. So I think generally a positive thing to, mm. to want to support that. But some big questions about how that will be done and and, and what that really 
will mean in terms of the legacy uh, mm. for, for that. One other thing that, that jumped out of the Conservative Manifesto to me uh, was they, they talk about setting up a fan-led review of football governance, yes. including the owners and directors test. Yes. So the key words in that is fan-led. Yeah. Uh, so not just setting up a review of it, which anybody could do and anybody could say, but actually, so it's fans that get to say whether you know what they want their sport to look like yeah. at the governance level, which I think is a is a very good thing. Yeah, um, and hopefully something that our friends without you know wanting to suggest too much, our friends at the FSA would be involved in. Yeah, um, the experts in that field. So yeah, uh, yeah and considerations of the owners and directors test. I think that's probably. I mean, obviously Scotland has gone through a period where it's had a lot of issues in terms of with that. England's now enduring a little bit of that with Bolton and Berry. Um, so be something much welcomed. Yeah. Okay, Labour Party. Now, this is the one that I think they've they've gone into the most detail, certainly around football. And um, Jeremy Corbyn was on the When Saturday Comes podcast a couple of weeks ago, which um, if you're a patron, you can get access to. But the Guardian have also done a kind of a write up of the kind of key things that he said within the interview, um, and it's quite it's, I very progressive um, stance on a lot of what he's suggesting. Uh, they're not actually suggesting a, a fund like the Conservatives are, so that's quite, I suppose, a key difference. However, um, they are in favour of fan directors being able to be appointed to a board, so up to two fans yes. being appointed onto a board, which has got issues um, which some people have sort of highlighted in the past around, well, you know, clubs can choose to have their board meetings in Malaysia, for example, yeah, so how, right. how are fans that's supposed right. to attend? So it's not, you know, not bulletproof. Yeah. However, in general, I think their part are in the right place in terms of what yeah. they're, they're asking for. Um, they're also keen to have a fit and proper kind of test review and to make sure mm -hmm. that that actually will work on the sort of following after Barry and um, Bolton um, and when he was quizzed by it on when Saturday comes he was talking about the fact that supporters trust are kind of the ideal vehicle to do this however some are obviously more established than others mm -hmm. as, as they are across um, Scotland as well um, but he would want to it sounded like he would be quite keen to encourage the Premier League and FA to help support the capacity building process for those supporter yeah. organisations yeah. which would be quite an interesting thing so he was yeah. basically saying well some are stronger than others but we would want to encourage others to become stronger uh, so presumably yeah. resource would be made available to, to strengthen those groups That's right. which would be positive and they, and they talk in the manifesto about accredited football supporters trusts yeah. which, which inherently suggests that some will be accredited and some will not be accredited so you, you have to do to meet some certain criteria uh, and as you, as you say presumably you know that needs to be that process needs to be supported mm -hmm. so that we know what's expected of supporters trust in order to get that status um, and for them to be to be viable yeah. in, in the short medium and long term so the the bit that I want to highlight which I think is funny and just highlight the impact of media is that um, so they they also advocating if a club was to go up for sale, then a, the supporters trust would have a right to purchase shares within yeah. that club, which again is kind of I think quite a progressive and generally a good thing. Um, however, the Express picked up on this. I don't. We've not shared. I've not shared this with you. And the title was um, they described this as a radical communist plan. <laughs> <laughs> and the kind of the blurb bit that comes after it. Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party could nationalise Britain's favourite football clubs if it wins the next wow. general elections, with critics warning Premier League heavyweights such as Liverpool are at risk from the 
grubby plan. <laughs> you so didn't see the, the uh, yeah, quotation. The air quotes. So yeah, the Labour member for St. Petersburg strikes again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, a radical communist plan. But funnily enough, the Tories' proposal for a fund to help people buy theirs wasn't a radical uh, communist plan. <laughs> Interesting that, isn't it? So um, just the, kind of the impact of media and how they kind of perceive that to be a negative thing in some way is quite yeah. an interesting yeah. stance, I think. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're kind of some of the things that they want to, to do, basically, encourage supporters to get greater representation. He talks quite a lot in that interview about the German model, um, unsurprisingly, and you know, uh -huh. the fact that he's very interested in how clubs like Bayern Munich operate, in which they have fan representation on the board, and actually fans can bring a lot to the governance of those mm -hmm. organisations, not just because they bring representation, but they have good skill sets as well. They're not just there to represent fans, yeah. but they can help with the yeah. running of the clubs. So, um, yeah, radical communist plan. <laughs> so they also, the other good thing that I, well, I don't think anyone could really disagree with, that they want to help... Um, reinvest some of the money that's in in the premier league so five percent mm -hmm. of money from premier league to go to grassroots that's right yes yeah. and there's there's been a bit of that redistribution of money uh, ever since the premier league was was set up 25 26 mm. years ago 27 years ago now i think um but that share has been gradually dwindling over the years i think um and then actually you know putting a higher level in there is a uh, is, is at the heart of the, the Labour Party policies there to, to re-establish that principle and, and have that, that, that money working harder and, ha and having top-level performance sport working hard to support the grassroots, um, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I've just this this isn't a coherent storyline. I just want to go back to that. I've included something from that Express article. Sorry. So the next paragraph, after they described it as a grubby plan, the left-wing Labour leader vowed to strip the clubs of their funding from billionaire owners and give supporters trust the right to purchase shares. But there are fears his plan risks ultimately leading to the government taking control of football clubs. Could you imagine that? Yeah. Similar to when USSR's secret service controlled teams in Russia. Can we do a fact check on that? <laughs> uh, wow. That's, oh. I mean, how much of that has actually been said? Oh. It's... Uh, they're so basically saying that they think supporters trust should have a right to purchase shares in their yeah. club. When a, when, a, when a club is being sold, supporters trust should have the right to purchase some of the shares. It's not stripping ownership from the billionaires. It's, it's certainly not, not giving control to the government. So yeah, police team, an army team, a <laughs> railways team. Maybe yeah. we could come up with some Premier League. Well, who would be... Who would CSKA, be Chelsea. Yes. Yeah. 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 Who would be railway men could be crew, so they could be locomotive <laughs> crew. Locomotive <laughs> Alexandra. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else could we have? Um, Forest Green could be the army club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Arsenal would have to be something to do with military. Yeah, though, I guess. That'd be right. Um, yeah. Should we come up? No change there. Still work West Ham or Scunthorpe. Uh huh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's scope, there. there's scope in there. Let's have some suggestions. We'll get some suggestions yeah. in from the people that yeah. are listening. Send your, send your ideas into info at supporters-direct.scot and yeah. we'll, uh, we'll report back in our next episode in nine months. <laughs> <laughs> next year. Next, that is next year. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay fair enough. So that's Labour, yeah. basically. I think we can say that between... So far, so good from actually everything we've read. Nothing that anyone would really massively disagree with, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, they also... I suppose we should mention, despite all the issues they've had this week... Um, Commission under an independent review into discrimination in sport as well. Yeah. So they have taken yeah. a bit of a, a lashing on that in the last week, but um, 
they are committed to tackling discrimination. That's right. Uh, where should we go next? Uh, Liberal Democrats. Liberal Democrats. What are they saying? Um, so, not as much in their manifesto as there is in the Conservative and Labour Party uh, documents. Um, but there's a commitment to introduce safe standing uh, or move towards introducing safe, safe standing at football clubs um, and provide guidance for implementing that change. Um, they've talked about supporting anti-racism and anti-homophobia campaigns in sport uh, and protecting sports and arts funding via the National Lottery. Um, so it's you know, three bullet, bullet points really in their manifesto, but there's something there at, at, at least. Um, but they do talk about you know the importance of, of sport uh, along with uh, other forms of culture being essential for personal fulfillment and quality of life. They enlarge people's experience and are part of what turns a group of people into our community. Hmm. And I think that's that resonates for me. That's that's how we see football. Yeah. It's not just individuals going along to watch a game of football. They meet people. They make connections. They come up with ideas. Um, their their lives are enriched by being part of that group, as well as being enriched by um, you know, enjoying enjoying sport and enjoying watching and playing and playing sport. So um, yeah, so that's a that's a, that's a kind of good way for them to, to describe it. Um, would I would look for a lot more detail um, yeah. uh, on what they're actually going to do and how they're going to do those things. Um, and again, there's that reliance on the national lottery. Uh, to protect that funding, which I'm I'm a little bit comfortable with, mm. I think if it's important that it plays such a big part in our in our lives and in, in our in the health of our, our nation, um, it actually should be funded properly and fu funded like other government service government provided services are, and not just be a um, you know some sweeties handed down from from the millions billions maybe that are generated by the lottery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay. So that's kind of SNP, other than what we said around what, the creation of the Community Sports Bond, uh, they didn't have anything in their manifesto. That's right. And uh, you said the Brexit Party, I didn't read the Brexit Party. You said they didn't have anything. No, they don't. They don't. So Brexit Party haven't produced a manifesto because they think uh, a manifesto is just another word for lies. <laughs> so what they've, what they've uh, come up with is a, contra a contract for the people or with the people. So they've come up with a Brexit Party contract, not a Breakfast Party manifesto. It's essentially the same thing. It's a list of promises, uh, a list of assertions about what they're going to do. Um, but there's not one reference to sport or football within that. Um, it's nothing like a community ownership fund, as far as I could find in that document. Um, so... That's that's where they are, and I, I think actually it takes takes me to the non the non party specific aspect of, of, of look at having looked at these these manifestos. Mm. So the Brexit Party don't say anything about sport and football because it's all about Brexit for them. The SNP manifesto doesn't say anything about sport and football um, because it's about Brexit for them. Um, they've 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 not got a chance of being the UK government. Yeah. Um, they can be kingmakers. Um, which is really a, a way of marginalising uh, your political influence. If, if all you can do is influence who's actually in charge, um, then that is your role. So it's perhaps understandable that they're not saying too much about what they would do if they were in government, mm. because they have absolutely no chance of being in government, uh, as, certainly as a major part, party in, in a UK government. Mm. Um, so they're not really in a position to set policy for the UK. So a lot of what they talk about, uh, and the Brexit Party talk about, is Brexit, which mm. is the issue that's that's instigated this this election and the one previously, um, and it's really uh, the main issue that the, the election is being fought on. Mm. So I mean, I had some thoughts around what Brexit means for football and for sport, 
Um, and um, and I think if we're going to make our minds up about how we vote, um, we need to take Brexit into account as yep. much as we do a, a single political party's manifestos. So um, when I think about about football players, so EU players based in Scotland, their future and their their options are, are, are changed if Brexit goes ahead, um, and you know potential players that could be attracted to to the UK. Um, after Brexit, you know, that would be a harder, harder process. And Scottish players and well, UK-based players, UK citizens uh, who are currently playing in continental Europe, um, their position would be affected by mm. that. And actually, one of the positive things in recent years in football is, is young, young players from Scotland and England uh, are, are more seem to be more likely to ply their trade at least for a few years on the continent than than maybe they, they had done for a few years. So we've seen a few players go there, get really good experience and come back better players as, as a result of it. Um, also think for supporters, uh, travelling to see your team play in Europe will become more difficult. Yeah. Um, whether you're a fan of the national team or a club team that, that's, that's getting through to the later stages of Europe. I don't know what the timescales are looking at just now, but uh, if is it end of January that they're saying Brexit may happen? Mm-hmm. So Scotland, play, Scotland have a playoff uh uh, for to, to see if we can qualify for Euro 2020, we have two matches in March. The first is at Hamden. The second match, which is five days after the first match, mm-hmm. uh, could well either could be in Norway or Serbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be one of those two teams that the winner of our match against Israel play against. Five days to arrange your travel to get across to see a game there. That's already tough. If you've got to apply for a visa, if you've got to go through a convoluted process of actually mm-hmm. getting there. Uh, if it's more expensive to travel there because of because of additional costs or because addition, additional costs either to the individual or to the airlines, um, that's an issue as well. Mm-hmm. So Brexit will make it harder for us to travel around Europe to watch football as well. Mm. Uh, it's also thinking about um, supporters that come from Ireland to watch clubs in Scotland. Absolutely. Be a potential banana yeah. skin for them as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of lot of supporters that come across from Ireland to watch mainly the Glasgow teams, but also a lot of supporters come from South, Southern Ireland, Republic of Ireland. Sorry, um, yeah, particularly Manchester United have a lot of a lot of Irish fans that come regularly, come come every week. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an impact impact there. So it could hurt our clubs financially, and you know, you know, player people people who wouldn't be who would normally be coming to watch the games won't become be able to come anymore. Uh, it could hurt our clubs because Scotland is reliant on immigration to have a, to grow its population. Yeah. So it's, I, I think it was about twenty years ago our, our population was in danger of slipping below five million. Yeah. It's now up back up towards six million again, um, because we we welcome people from all over the world to come and, and make their lives here. If our population shrinks, there's less people to watch football. Um, we've got the highest levels of support per head of population for, of any country in Europe. The number of people who actually go to matches regularly, uh, and that would be put at put risk. And every pound's a prisoner for our football clubs. Um, so even if there's a, 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 a tiny drop off in the numbers of people actually coming to watch football matches, um, then that will hurt our clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we shouldn't underestimate that, mm-hmm. um, as well as just in general, what we want our country to be like. Well, I think that's, a, that's another point, isn't it? So even talk, looking at what the um, Conservative Party were proposing with hosting all these great events, but people might view Britain very differently. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Brexit. They might not want to yeah. come and watch and that's right. <laughs> might not feel welcome, that's which right. is another thing to consider, yeah. I guess. I guess the other hard impact of uh, leave, potentially leaving the EU 
is um, loss of funding sources like the Erasmus um, yep. program. Um, for listeners who don't know uh, what Erasmus is, uh, it's a program that's about uh, it's investing in uh, arts, culture, sport, all sorts of things, education, uh, and it's uh, largely to benefit young people. Uh, and a lot of money has come into football, uh, more to our grassroots clubs, but also some to, uh, to to major clubs in Scotland over the last few years to run uh, almost corporate social responsibility projects, for want of a better word, you know, you know projects that work with migrants, um, projects that are helping develop clubs uh, across across the, the country. Um, we've we've noticed uh, in the last year um, that. Our potential funding has, has changed because of that at Supported Direct Scotland. So we're involved in some pan-European projects uh, and we can still be involved in those projects but they're unable to give us give any money into to UK organisations while there is this uncertainty over Brexit. So while we can you know, you know, be on steering, steering groups, while we can attend events, uh, we can't be recompensed for it. Erasmus rules have, have tightened up uh, whilst Brexit has been discussed uh, and if if Brexit does happen, uh, then that source of money goes away. Mm. Yeah. Some food for thought yeah. for December the 12th. Yeah, so vote wisely, but uh, whatever your views, political views, social views, do vote. Yes. Um, make your voice heard. Uh, we can't complain about the result of an election we don't vote in, so mm. whatever way you want to vote, we hope this is helping you make that decision, uh, but do go out there and vote. Um, mm. you know, don't if, if it's a rainy, cold day, which is very likely in the middle of December. Um, you know, still, you know, get your get your warmest coat on, get your gloves on, get your boots on, uh, and get down to your polling station and uh, put your cross in the box. Um, make your views known because it's the most important part of democracy is voting, not how you vote, but actually voting. Mm-hmm. I'll be in Thailand, but uh, oh, postal vote, postal vote, postal vote. Well done. I sent my postal vote away uh, this morning, so oh. it came through last night. Uh, filled it in, and I've got that in. Um, yeah, you have no right to complain if you don't take the time to vote. Yes, very true. Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P Direct Scott. Okay, right. We'll move into our last new section. Our last new section? That makes sense. Yeah, our last new section. Which is basically we're going to talk about stuff it's completely self-indulgent, really, isn't it? It's just stuff that we like and we've read and seen that we think is worth sharing. There's so much stuff getting produced these days, whether that be articles, podcasts, TV, film, etc., etc. So much media. I get to talk about political fatigue. I get fatigued about trying to keep up with everything. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> I don't know. My skybox is just round. Anyway, um, so first things first. Uh, you have just mentioned to me that. The trip that you took to Watford is the focus of a write-up by a journalist called Richard Foster. That's right, yeah. Richard Foster, Foster writes for The Guardian, uh, and today, that's Friday the 29th, uh, his article uh, that he wrote when he was with us in Watford has gone up on The Guardian's website. And it's a great article talking about the support liaison officer movement, um, the role that they play in different countries, talking to a few of the people who are at the event uh, down in Watford. Um, if you don't if you don't know about the SLO role, it's a great place to start mm. and have a look at, at what's happening there, uh, and the differences in in the focus of the role in different countries across Europe. Um, so football football supporting culture is different in each country, and the SLO role adapts to um, to, to to support fans and to, to help fans 
get the get the most out of attending attending the game yeah. in those countries. Uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that article in the show notes as well. So if you uh, if you didn't catch the name um, or if you haven't, haven't read it already, yeah. uh, you should be able to find that in our show notes. I'll also include the link to that Express article just for yeah, reference. For mad, mad communist scheme. Um, <laughs> but tied to that, I read a piece I read, and I know there's a new issue of Nutmeg out now, oh, coming out. It's out very soon. Shortly. So December. December's issue, yeah. So, but looking to the last one, which was issue 13, a similar article by Heather McKinley about mm. the SLO network in Scotland, which right. was um, very... Uh, it was nice to see it getting qualification in something like Nutmeg. Um, so it seems to me that since we started working on the role, so I think it was maybe 2016 we first got funding from right. the Scottish FA to help develop the role in Scotland. At the time there was only two SLOs, mm-hmm. uh, JP at Celtic and mine's gone blank. However, maybe it was just JP, I can't remember. There was one or two SLOs and now it's now developed into the network that we've got. Yeah, we have 30 clubs. clubs around Scotland with SLOs in place. Fantastic. Some of them are full-time employees, some of them are part-time employees, some of them are, volu- are, are volunteers. And it's being implemented differently by different clubs to yeah. suit, suit their needs. Um, and it's a great community that look out for each other, support mm. each other. Um, yeah. And are, are, are trying to, to make your experience of watching football as, as positive as it can be. Yeah. Very much so. So that's another nice article if you're looking for a Scotland-specific one about sports liaison officers. Mm-hmm. Um, two podcasts for you. You might have some suggestions for podcasts. I'm chucking out two. That, well, first one is that um, good luck to Austin McPhee this weekend, who's still in charge of Heart of Midlovian. Um, Austin, friend of the show. If you missed our podcast with him, I think it must have been last April or something. It was one of the first episodes we did, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was definitely in 2018. Fascinating yeah. individual um, who, if you're a Hearts fan, you might be interested to learn more about who's sort of an interim charge of the club. Um, obviously, his name's in the hats as well, I think, um, at the club. I don't want to speculate too much, but um, worth checking that out. So if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about the man, uh, we'll include a, uh, a link in that podcast. So good luck to him this weekend. That's right. Um, and then one podcast, which you think the name of is very funny, but I think it's great, Any Old Iron. <laughs> which is a uh, sorry for again for mentioning West Ham probably the third time this podcast I apologise but uh, this is a podcast that's been funded by West Ham's community foundation um, Any Old Irons is a kind of a project for a lot of their elderly supporters that are perhaps suffering from isolation or widowed in some way or just generally lonely and they meet together once a month and they've started to use it as a kind of a kinship group and a friendship group and they talk about things about like growing old together which um, you wouldn't think would make a particularly interesting podcast but it does and it's really sweet they've started recording um, uh, different episodes with different players and former players and they ask them about experiences so first episode was with Sir Trevor Brooking talking about what it's like growing old and what he does to keep himself active and just really enjoyable stuff so I recommend that's a great example of how you can engage your elderly fan base as well I yeah. think and um, a nice that to hear a different view in terms of a podcast a different representation yeah. you don't often get to hear a lot from but uh, I think there's probably a lot of clubs in Scotland that could uh-huh. do something like that yeah yeah what have you got? Uh, I've got a book recommendation. Okay. Um, so I read The Ugly Game by Martin Calladine ah, recently. Yes. Um, something uh, that uh, I'm not sure. I, I was actually a, a, a friend of ours at the SFA recommended this to me. And we were talking about the, the survey. We're in, in the we're almost at the end of analysing just now. But as we were chatting, um, this book recommendation came our way. Uh, so Martin Calladine writes about the differences between 
mainly English Premiership football, but you know European top level football and American football, so NFL, gridiron, whatever you want to call it, uh, and actually looks at what football could learn from American football. Mm. It's it's great. I, mean, I think it was written as a series of essays, and so each chapter takes a, a different aspect of it mm. and explores. So what's different about American football? Um, I think a lot of football football fans in the UK and uh, Scotland have quite a dismissive um, attitude towards American football that it's fake and it's kind of razzmatazz. But actually, what he's making a case for is a, is a, is a, a purer version of sport. So there's uh, so competition is built right into the sport. So so much is done to make to make a level playing field. So the draft system, uh, salary caps. Um, so they, they they work really really hard to make it to make it a competitive pure sport. And one of the things that really stayed with me reading the book, he, he said, at any point in time, it's impossible to name who the who the biggest teams will be in five years' time. Mm. Everything changes every five years. You know, it's is the 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 pecking order is unrecognizable every five years five years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look five years in the past and five years before that, you see absolute wholesale shifts. Mm. The number of teams that have reached Super Bowls, that have reached the playoff finals, um, uh, the playoff semi-finals, I think it is, I've, I don't even know the terminology for it, um, is dramatically different than, than what we see here in our game. Um, so they've created a closed system where, it's, where it's, it's possible to do those things. And it's fascinating. And it's very, very funny. Yes. Uh, and it's quite sardonic yeah. about, about football, about our support, but very, very informative and enlightening about 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 what's really involved there. He also talks with great admiration about the athleticism of American football players. Mm. So they've all got specialist roles. So you've got an offense team, you've got a defense team. I wish they could just call them attack teams and defense teams, strikers and defenders. But they don't offense and defense. And they've got separate teams and they've got these weirdos that just come on to punt uh, and the rest of it. But he says when you actually see what these individuals who are in specialized roles can do, so you know the biggest units on the field are faster than most people we would ever see in our lives. So, you know, the guys that are carrying sort of 19, 20 stone um, can can cover 40 metres mm. in, in four and a half, five seconds. Yeah. Like that. I mean, just absolute spectacular feats. Um, and they can take these massive, massive impacts and just pick themselves up and keep on going. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of reignited my curiosity about American football. You know, when it first became a, a big thing, when Channel 4 started showing it in the 1980s, everybody in my school picked their national, their American football team. I picked New York Giants, um, who are one of the ones who are absolutely awful just now, apparently. But just give it five years, they'll be back. Um, <laughs> but everybody picked, picked, their, picked their team. I followed it for a couple of years, and then you lose, you lose interest when, probably when Football Italia started being shown uh, at, at lunchtimes. Um, you kind of got into Italian football and then American football was left by the by the wayside. But I did ignite my curiosity to go back and and just see what it's like yeah. to experience it again. We had Martin along to one of our summits. And yeah, I missed that one. It was did. three, four years ago, was it? It's been 2015 or 16 he came oh. along, came up and t- to do it. And then he was at the SFA convention, like picked all our best ideas and they had him along <laughs> to speak the year after. But yeah, it's a, he, you're right. He's a, so fast, I think the interesting difference though between American sport and European sport is that the reason that America have got a closed shop is because they want to maximise profit. It's all about maximising profit, yeah. isn't it? So the reason that they have a more balanced sport is because they acknowledge that actually the leagues being more competitive yeah. delivers more financial gain, yeah. whereas actually 
the reason we have low attendances for some games is because you well because they're not competitive they're not competitive yeah. right so they, don't, they just don't matter and actually the gap gets broader and broader yeah. every year whereas in America they try and make the gap as little as possible yeah. so in theory any team could could win it and yeah. actually if you came bottom last year you, guess what you get the first pick so you, yeah. you know yeah. having things like a salary cap make a big difference yeah so yeah. a lot of stuff that British sport could learn but it's not well I would say it's not built it's not traditionally built on profit maximisation uh-huh. maybe you could argue the Premier League is now but yeah. Uh, yeah it was built around trying to win as much stuff as you could that's right that's right <laughs> Anyway, so that's right. Okay, so we can put that in the, in the notes as well. Yeah. Okay. And the last thing we want to encourage people to do is become a Patreon. That's right. Uh, we set up our Patreon scheme um, about a year ago, I think it was. Yeah. Maybe it was a little bit more than, more than a year. Encouraging people to give us their financial support, help make these things possible. And, and the rest of the work that we do is probably more important. Mm. Helps make that possible, helps contribute towards that. Um, when we create resources uh, for clubs and for supporters groups, we make them freely available. Um, we don't charge people to access those those things. So, um, we have we have member supporters trusts and, and other forms of supporter groups as well who we give support to. But when we're writing resources, we make them available to anybody. It's um, it's, it's not they're not available based on your ability to pay, but it does cost money to do what we do, um, and every little helps. So if you're in a position to Chuck us the cost of a cup of coffee once a month. Um, please do so. It makes a big, big difference. And we may start putting out some more sort of light-hearted stuff that's just available to, to Patreons. Yeah. A lot of podcasts do go down this route uh, and they do a free, free podcast and then they have some paid content as well. We don't want to make any of the things that are that are vital to clubs when they're in crisis or supporters groups when they're trying to, to make a change. We don't want to make those yeah. restricted. Um, but if we're going to do a film review of the FIFA film or yeah. or um, uh, Shot at Glory, the Wraith Rovers film. Or, or what Premier League clubs could be like under Jeremy Corbyn's nationalist government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. We might, um, just to give you a bit of a laugh, or yeah, give ourselves a bit yeah, of a laugh, really. Yeah, probably. Um, we may put that out on the Patreon channel. Um, we do need to say thank you to our current Patreons yes, as, as well. Uh, we really appreciate their um, what what they do for us and, and how they support us. Um, there are other perks as well. So other than you know, I was probably talking rubbish on a couple of special episodes. <laughs> there are things that you get for free. So if you become a member of Supporters Direct Scotland, an individual member, which means you get to vote and you get to get involved in some of the, the groups we're involved in and, and elections, etc. So um, do check out the rewards we offer. We'll make sure that we include that in the link as well yeah. because it does make a big difference to us getting involved. And, That's right. Um, you know, life life is more expensive these days, isn't it? And running organisations yeah. is increasingly expensive. So any support is much appreciated. Yeah. But uh, we will be back next year. Um, we've got lots of exciting content planned. Haven't we? <laughs> well, we have lots of exciting content talked about. Yes, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of our biggest challenges is actually scheduling things in, so we probably need to, we need to up our game in terms of our discipline of actually yeah. putting stuff in the calendar and, and doing it. But we've got yeah, lots of great ideas. Things that we wanted to do previously and we couldn't quite get people uh, lined up to, to be interviewed and to come onto the podcast with us. Yeah. But some things that we want to do as well that uh, we just need to um, to really attack those with a bit of vigour and a bit of commitment. Very much so. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, you can do so. The email address is info at supporters-direct.scot and the Twitter feed is at scottsupnetwork. That's S-C-O-T-S-U-P-P-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.
Excellent. <laughs> right, so until next time, have a great Christmas. Yeah, have a uh, winning week. And make sure you vote. Yeah, definitely. Vote, vote early and vote often. Or just vote once. Do good things early. Yeah. <laughs> until then, see you later. Bye now.